Section 40 of Nye and Riley's Wit and Humor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nye and Riley's Wit and Humor. Section 40. Her Tired Hands. On board a western train the other day I held in my bosom for over seventy-five miles the elbow of a large man whose name I do not know. He was not a railroad hog, or I would have resented it. He was built wide, and he couldn't help it, so I forgave him. He had a large, gentle, kindly eye, and when he desired to spit he went to the car door, opened it, and decorated the entire outside of the train, forgetting that our speed would help to give scope to his remarks. Naturally, as he sat there by my side, holding on tightly to his ticket, and evidently afraid that the conductor would forget to come and get it, I began to figure out in my mind what might be his business. He had pounded one thumb so that the nail was black where the blood had settled under it. This might happen to a shoemaker, a carpenter, a blacksmith, or most anyone else. So it didn't help me out much, though it looked to me as though it might have been done by trying to drive a fence nail through a leather hinge with the back of an axe. And nobody but a farmer would try to do that. Following up the clue, I discovered that he had milked on his boots, and then I knew I was right. The man who milks before daylight in a dark barn when the thermometer is down to twenty-eight degrees below, and who hits his boot and misses the pail by reason of the cold, and the uncertain light, and the prudishness of the cow, is a marked man. He cannot conceal the fact that he is a farmer unless he removes that badge. So I started out on that theory, and remarked that this would pass for a pretty hard winter on stock. The thought was not original with me, for I have heard it expressed by others either in this country or Europe. He said it would. My cattle has gone through a whole mowful of hay since October, and eleven ton of brand. Hay don't seem to have the goodness to it that it had last year, and with their new process grist mills they jerk all the juice out of brand. So as you might as well feed cows with excelsior and upholster your horses with hemlock bark as to buy bran. Well, why do you run so much to stock? Why don't you try diversified farming and rotation of crops? Well, probably you got that idea in the papers. A man that earns big wages writing farm hints for agricultural papers can make more money with a soft lead pencil and two or three season-cracked IDs like that I can carry of them out on the farm. We used to have a feller in the drug store in our town that wrote such good pieces for the rural Vermonter and made up such a good condition powder out of his own head that two years ago we asked him to write an essay for the annual meeting of the Buckwheat Trust and to use his own judgment about choice of subject. And what do you suppose he had selected for an essay that took the whole forenoon to read? What subject you mean? Yes give it up. Well, he'd wrote out that whole blamed intellectual wad on the subject of the inhumanity of dehorning hydraulic rams. How's that? That's pretty fair. Well, farming is like running a paper in regards to some things. Every feller in the world will take and turn in and tell you how to do it even if you don't know a blame thing about it. There ain't a man in the United States today that don't secretly think he could run airy one if his other business busted on him, whether he knows the difference between a new milch cow and a horse hayrake or not. We had one of these embroidered nightshirt farmers come from town better than three years ago. Been a toilet soap man and done well. 
and so he came out and bought a farm that had nothing to it but a fancy house and barn, a lot of metter in the front yard, and a southern aspect. The farm was no good. You couldn't raise a disturbance on it. Well, what does he do? Goes and gets a passel of slim-tailed yeller cows from New Jersey and aims to handle cream and diversified farming. Last year the cuss sent a load of cream over and tried to sell it at the new crematory while the funeral and holler cost was going on. I may be a sort of a chump myself, but I read my paper and don't get left like that. What are the prospects for farmers in your state? Well, they are poor. Never was so poor, in fact, since I've been there. Folks wonder why boys leaves the farm. My boys left so as to get protected, they said. And so they went into a clothing store, one of them, and one went into hard word, and one is talking protection in the legislature this winter. They said that farming was getting to be like fishing and hunting. Well enough for a man that has means and leisure, but they couldn't make a living at it, they said. Another boy is in a drug store, and the man that hires him says he is a royal feller. Kind of a castor royal feller, I said, with a shriek of laughter. He waited until I had laughed all I wanted to, and then he said, I've always hollered for high tariff in order to heist the public debt. But now that we've got the national debt coopered, I wish they'd take a little hack at mine. I've put in fifty years farming. I never drank liquor in any form. I've worked from ten to eighteen hours a day, been economical in clothes, and never went to a show more than a dozen times in my life. Raised a family and learned upwards of two hundred calves to drink out of a tin pail without blowing all their vittles up my sleeve. My wife worked alongside of me, sewing new seats on the boys' pants, skimming milk, and even helping me load hay. For forty years we toiled along together and hardly got time to look into each other's faces or dared to stop and get acquainted with each other. Then her health failed, catched cold in the spring house, probably skimming milk and washing pans and scalding pails and spanking butter. Anyhow, she took in a long breath one day while the doctor and me was watching her, and she says to me, Henry, says she, I've got a chance to rest and she put one tired, wore-out hand on the top of the other tired, wore-out hand, and I knew she'd gone where they don't work all day and do chores all night. I took time to kiss her then. I'd been too busy for a good while previous to that, and then I called in the boys. After the funeral it was too much for them to stay around and eat the kind of cooking we had to put up with, and nobody spoke up around the house as we used to. The boys quit whistling around the barn and talked kind of low by themselves about going to town and getting a job. They're all gone now, and the snow is four feet deep on Mother's grave up there in the old burying ground. Then both of us looked out of the car window quite a long while without saying anything. I don't blame the boys for going into something else long's other things pays better, but I say, and I say what I know that the man who holds the prosperity of this country in his hand, the man that actually makes money for other people to spend, the man that eats three good simple square meals a day and goes to bed at nine o'clock so that future generations with good blood and cool brains can go from his farm to the Senate and Congress and the White House, he is the man that gets left at last to run his farm, with nobody to help him but a hired man and a high protective tariff. The farms in our state is mortgaged for over seven hundred million dollars. 
ten of our western states, I see by the papers, has got about three billion and a half mortgages on their farms, and that don't count the chattel mortgages filed with the town clerks on farm machinery, stock, wagons, and even crops, by gosh, and that ain't two inches high under the snow. That's what the prospects is for farmers now. The government is rich, but the men that made it, the men that fought prairie fires and prairie wolves and engines and potato bugs and blizzards and has paid to war debt and pensions and everything else, and hollered for the Union and the Republican Party and free schools and high tariff and anything else that they was told to, is left high and dry this cold winter, with a mortgage of seven billions and a half on the farms they have earned and saved a thousand times over. Yes, but look at the glory of sending from the farm the future president, the future senator, and the future member of Congress. That looks well on paper, but what does it really amount to? Soon as a farm boy gets in a place like that, he forgets the soil that produced him and holds his head as high as a hollyhock. He bellers for protection to everybody but the farmer, and while he sails round in a hidey-tidy room with a fire in it night and day, his father on the farm has to kindle his own fire in the morning with elm slivers, and he has to wear his own son's lawn tennis suit next to him or freeze to death, and he has to milk in an old gray shawl that has held that member of Congress when he was a baby by gory and the old lady has to sojourn through the winter in the flannel that was wore at the regatta before he went to Congress. So I say, and I think the Congress agrees with me, damn a farmer, anyhow. He then went away. End of section 40. Recording by Philip Gould.